0: Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Behind the Headlines. My name is Eric Colchrane. On today's episode, we are talking about crimes and courts, a section of the website that gets lots of traffic for obvious reasons. What goes into creating all of that? And let's meet some of the journalists who put it all together. All right, let's get into today's episode. My co-host, as always, my dear friend, the one, the only, John Heiner.
1: Thank you very much, Eric Cochran, for that uh, generous and wonderful introduction. I always appreciate it. And here we are early in the new year. I'm behind the headlines and we're looking at some of the most popular forms of coverage that we do here on M live, uh, traditionally popular. Um, and it always was and always will be. And that is uh, we go by it goes by many names. Uh, public safety coverage, crimes, crimes uh, courts and cops, Um, But it incorporates a whole range of the kinds of content people are very interested in in their communities, everything from uh, traffic accidents or highways being shut down, fires, and of course, crimes uh, against people and property, murder, burglaries, and then from time to time, really zany kind of out there stuff that's just human interest. So uh, it's it's one of the most popular topics traditionally you're going to see covered. Uh, By any media and anybody who watches TV news knows that as well. Uh, But here on M Live, we have dedicated reporters for crime and courts all across the state. And today, I would like to introduce some of our uh, people who bring you this news and talk a little bit about the balance that we look for with other news when we present this kind of information to our readers and to our listeners. So for today, I'd like to start off by welcoming. Roberto Acosta, who's our editor
2: in Flint, for the Flint Journal. Uh, good afternoon, Roberto. Good afternoon. While we're uh, on the topic, we do have some breaking news out of the area actually today. So, What's uh, happening? What's fresh off the scanner, Roberto? Uh, sounds like right now there's a shooting on one of the local interstates, 475. There was a vehicle entrapment as well. Don't know if those are connected, but that's kind of the, the stuff we have to hash out some days. And uh, we got some information that one of our reporters, Ron Fogger, checked on this morning as well. There was a uh, story is going up here soon. Uh, a sheriff's sergeant actually uh, was arrested off duty in a, uh, a county vehicle. Uh, it sounds like they may have been super drunk as well. Charges are pending. They're still waiting the uh, the toxicology reports to come back before forwarding it to the prosecutor's office. But uh always kind of something going on in that world, to be honest with you.
1: So uh, those are stories that I would read and will read <laughs> along with a lot of our other readers. Uh, from our largest newspaper, the Grand Rapids Press, we have uh, John Tunison, a reporter who covers crime and courts there. Good afternoon, John.
3: Yes, good afternoon. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well. I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about how you do your job it's some of the stories you're working on now, but I wanna jump across the state to one of our smaller markets and introduce uh, crime and courts reporter, Cole Waterman. Welcome, Cole. Hello. Thanks for having me. Cole, you probably already know this, but uh, our, our listeners probably uh, may be surprised by this, but you know, we have about 65, 70 people who write content for Live all across the state on every topic from news to sports to you know, trending news. And mm-hmm. you are the number one red news reporter uh in 2021 across all of them live operating oh, out of faint city michigan yeah. that just tells you that's the testament to the power of, of crime court uh and, and public safety news well done so congratulations yeah. thank you
0: wow yeah. <laughs> didn't realize that honestly
1: <laughs> well you you are um you know we got a few colleagues who, who read about weather and, and some other topics that to get a little more yeah. audience but of all of our news writers, um you have a knack for it, and you have oh. the largest audience. So, congratulations!
0: To check and see what my most read story was last year.
1: Uh, Cole, you've written some, you've written some uh, doozies over the years. And I was talking to uh, one of our senior editors, Kelly Prick, today about. I said, "What was that story that Cole wrote? It involved a Walmart." And uh, do you remember that one? It was a couple um, married there's been a in few a Walmart. Walmart stories. <laughs> they got engaged in a Walmart. And then oh,
0: the sex toy bandits, as they, <laughs> as they called themselves. That was the nickname that they gave themselves on social media was the sex toy bandits. Yeah.
1: that story <laughs> I went back and found it today. These are the kind of stories you seem to to find a couple times a year, but yeah. uh, then they wandered over to the mall and went into a, a Spencer's and bought some uh, some sex toy novelties. Yeah. And they went to the food court where the guy fell asleep tying his shoes and the, the woman went on the lamb over by a Taco Bell. And I think people yeah. just I think people just need to find that story and read it.
0: Yeah. 2016. I just found I could not remember how long ago it was. But yeah, 2016, 2015 is when it happened.
1: <laughs> well, I want to tell you all I hear from a lot of readers and there's some sensitivity around crime coverage, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a, I would talk to earlier about a balance that we have to find because the truth is we could, uh, we don't write everything uh, that we see. We don't write all the court cases that come through our court system. We could devote everybody full-time to just writing crime and courts, but that would be a skewed view of our communities as well. But you all play a very important role in, in deciding what we cover, what the, what the audience sees, why don't you talk a little bit, all three of you, uh, let's talk a little bit about how we make those judgments about what we cover and how we present it for sensitivity, but also to give people a sense of balance about what's going on in their community that's accurate. He wants to start? I'll you, start.
0: Go, you go, Cole. All right. Um, usually I start like my day going to either the courthouse, local courthouses, or the jail logs that are emailed to me. Um, I know the, you know the charges that people were arrested on, you know, be it armed robbery, murder, you know, the, the, the big, the big felonies. And from there, start asking police, prosecutors, you know, what the story is on this given situation. And if it's, you know, serious enough to my, you know, personal metric, or I run it past my bosses and decide whether to delve deeper into it, whether it's with the story and, it's kind of where it begins if it's not you know an obvious thing sent to us from the police via a press release or whatnot.
1: John Tunison, how about you it's a much bigger community in Grand Rapids what do you yeah. see the scope of what you cover and how do you go about um, making those distinctions?
3: You know what uh every week uh, usually on Friday I go to um the prosecutor's office but and also i get sent through email uh, a list of all of the items that are happening in the courts um docket sheet basically uh for every week and i, I even pour through that uh, it takes uh you know a couple hours really to go through it and then i find the cases that i want to look up and uh, go to the court and um look at the files and see what's there um it's it depends you know there's so many um uh you kind of have to pick and choose because there's a lot of uh, sex assault cases on there that we'll never do just because they're um, family related things yeah. like that. And um, you know, you, you try to look into a lot of those, but um, you know, you you can't get to them all. But um, so I, I I start with that with the uh, with the court list, and uh, and then if it's something that I'm interested in, then I'll uh, end up calling the uh, police agencies to uh, get some more about that or look. Again, the files have affidavits usually where it gives you a little synopsis of uh, what's going on with that uh, particular crime. And that's always helpful. And, uh, and of course, I'll uh, run it past one of the editors to see what their thoughts are on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Roberto, you oversee news coverage in Flint. Flint has a reputation as a kind of a hard, hard, hard <laughs> tough town. Um, it, it You know, lots of violent crimes and crimes against people. Uh, but, you know, i let you do the talking here, but you have to balance it, as I said, with with other kinds of news coverage. So, you know, how do you go about making those judgments about how much coverage? Because you probably could write twice as what you, you do write about from from the courts and from the police blotter there. So how do you approach that as an editor, Roberto?
2: Absolutely. Um, truth be told, I, I take some of the inside head as a, a reporter as well, covering you know, call it public safety, cops or courts in Flint too. Um, I know in the past we would have logs at uh, the city of Flint police department and they, they would give minute details. Um, and a lot of times it was smaller things, you know, say, uh, and, and they could be kind of those, you know, out of the ordinary type type things we might type about before, you know, someone steals a rack of cigarettes, you know, and a hundred bags of chips from a store. But, um, just kind of how things have evolved from there. Um, I think the focus has has become more on, um, and, and and two, it's because the reader wants to know. I mean, we have scanner pages on Facebook since we don't we no longer have police scanners here in Flint or Genesee County. People are always talking, you know, being on the scanner pages, um, you know, about uh, I saw you know five police cars in my neighborhood. You know, people want to know what's going on. Uh, in their neighborhoods. I think that's the most important thing to to start for me is kind of what people are seeing. You know, we will, as Cole mentioned, get press releases from police. Um, I I think, and and we'll we'll go off those and reach out for additional information as we go along. Um, Also trends that we notice. Um, I know, you know, either be it, you know, car thefts or catalytic converter thefts, or if there's a rash of violence going on, you know, is there any connection that's taking place? Uh, between those, you know, any other kind of, uh, not ulterior, but but other motives that are that are in play. Um, also, I, I think crime coverage um, is accountability as well for police departments, mm-hmm. um, you know, be it an officer getting, you know, arrested for something. I wrote a story when I was a reporter five or six years ago about a, an officer one of the, the neighboring jurisdictions um, taking prescription pills from the, the pill take back programs. Mm. Um, and I had established, you know, a a working relationship with, with the detective. Um, so, I mean, we can get into those as, as crime reporters, you know, can get into those difficult situations as well, where it's the balance, you know, you know, you have sources, but you also have to hold things accountable as well. Um, and in the city of Flint too, um, you know, unfortunately we have a lot of homicides. So it's, it's telling the humanistic side of it too, to me, um, you know, we can go into a neighborhood, you know, where a shooting has taken place. Um, and I think maybe sometimes it's not lost, but not seen by the readers. It has an impact on the reporters as well mm-hmm. that, that have to go into those situations. You know, you see a grieving mother or family members, but, but following up as, as families are comfortable and, and telling those sides of the stories as well. I, I tell reporters, you know, not to make people statistics. You know, everyone has a story, you know, with someone's cousin or uncle or brother uh, that's impacted by this violence and, and telling those stories as well, I feel is important.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Roberto. Um, humanizing, you know, uh, we do write stories that are based in data or trends and so forth. Um, yeah. And, you know, we do this, too, with it could be a, a high school student who dies in a tragic accident, you know, uh, you know in, in the communities rallying around that. We recently, and you helped lead some of our coverage on this, uh, you're at work having a normal day, and you find out there's been a school shooting in Oxford, and, um, you know, multiple students shot, four died, um, and we had a scramble, and that's not even a market where we have a newspaper. We don't typically cover Northern Oakland County, Um, but that's kind of the life of of a police reporter um, is responding to those kind of stories um and you know it's interesting you talk about how the the scanners have changed that was always an iconic thing in a newsroom was to have the scanner going at all times and you could have one ear everybody in the room has an ear on everything that's happening to me whether it's a fire uh, a lot of false alarms or cops go out and it's nothing but Cole and John do you still find yourself kind of tied to that scanner or are there different ways of getting and staying on top of the news now
0: I haven't really relied on the scanner in quite a while. Just, her, you know, moving offices and then you know working from home for the last you know year and a half, or you know, mostly with COVID. Um, yeah, yeah. I mostly rely on kind of word of mouth, um, on social media from these kind of like neighborhood watch pages that mm-hmm. kind of tip off. And there are a lot of uh, scanner feed type websites that kind of have it on streaming live or have the recordings you can go back and listen to once you hear that something you know a shooting or a robbery happened um but yeah they haven't really just had a a scanner in the office you know just blazing in the background for quite some time
1: <laughs> wow because the, the last i remember it started the last i remember before work from home I was in the Ann Arbor office almost every day they still had a scanner there, but uh, a lot's changed. You touching on this also working from home, and, yeah. how, and how that's impacted uh, everybody. You know, um, not just police reporters, but but everybody who's in, in communities, and probably how they get information. Um, John, what what methods do you use?
3: I still uh, I still use the scanner quite a bit. Uh, we have the online scanners that uh, are offered, and uh, just this morning there was an ice rescue in Muskegon that I'm checking on, but a um, uh, guy was out near the channel and got, I don't know how he got caught on some sort of an ice ball out there. And um, so we're uh, following that uh, this morning, but, um, and then on Friday, there was a, a Thursday or Friday, there was a freeway shooting, just like uh, Roberto had. Uh, there was one in Grand Rapids here that I heard on the scanner, so, but uh, more and more social media really is the way we're finding out information. Um, Uh, Grand Rapids PD several months ago went to an encrypted uh, feed. So we can't really hear their traffic so much. We still get fire traffic though, which kind of tips us off to um, different things that are going on. So it's a little bit tougher nowadays for breaking news, but we do, we still get it uh, through various sources.
0: Something else I want to mention kind of replacing scanner, you know, supplementing scanners is at least in our region, the county central dispatches will send alerts if you sign up for the program with, they'll advise if there's a shooting at an address or a house fire or a road closure due to a crash, which that's kind of a specifically directed toward us way to get a leg up on breaking immediate news like that.
1: Right. And one thing you're, you're kind of touching on too, you both mentioned, you know, stopping by the prosecutor's offices and you, you get to know over time and have a working relationship with you know, key members of the leadership of the police departments in the courts, heck, you know, court clerks, you know, filing yeah. clerks. You, you get to know these people. You know, how, how important is that, those relationships to your job? And, and has that changed over time? You know, the media has been demonized here for the last many years, uh, uh, you know, that in a lot of different ways. But how, how important are those working relationships and how, how have they held up over time?
0: I think there are bread and butter, at least speaking from my experience, that that can't be underestimated just having cops or attorneys who who you've built a rapport with over the years who trust you and will give you, you know, the heads up before they'll send it a you know official press release, or they'll just kind of put a bug in your ear of you know, look out for this thing in the court docket or you know, of that nature. Um, yeah, that that's something that can't be overvalued enough. Mm-hmm. And you obviously, on the same token, at least in our beats, the sources can, are exceptionally sensitive to being burned for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. So you have to, at the same time, know to not violate their trust if they tip you off. They say that something's off the record until this happens and mm-hmm. you don't usually get a second chance with them. So it's got to honor that.
1: <laughs> Good point. John, how about you, Got you have go-tos as yeah, well?
3: I agree, it's uh, it's great to have longevity, really. I mean, we've, me and uh, there's another guy, John Agar, another reporter for the Grand Efforts Press, and we've uh, both been around for, you know, 20 years and longer. And, um, you know, the prosecutor now is, uh, used to be an assistant prosecutor, and we both known him for years, and so he'll get with us um, whenever he's got something. Um, he, I mean, I'm not sure if he's always going to get with other media necessarily, but uh, so it's, it's good to have those kind of contacts. Right.
1: You're listening to Behind the Headlines, an Live podcast. This is John Heiner, Vice President of Content, I'm here with my co-host Eric Holcren. And our topic today is community coverage of courts, crimes, public safety and, and the like. Uh, we're joined by Roberto Acosta, who's our editor for The Flint Journal. Uh, John Tunison from the Grand Rapids Press, and Cole Waterman from the Bay City Times. Uh, Roberto, I back there a little bit, I saw you shaking your head. We were talking about relationships. Y- you had mentioned, too, that you had been in the role of a reporter in these situations. And I think John Tunison just touched on a little bit, too, and Cole did as well, but uh, that relationship is a two-way street. And uh, I mean, I think there's a little bit of a symbiotic relationship between police departments or public safety people and, and police because our uh, reporters because we're this intermediary to the people. And there's times that they really need us, <laughs> but there's times that we need them as well. Could uh, can you explain that dynamic
2: for our listeners? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, if it's if it's breaking news, um, and I think we've all, you know, had to handle that from time to time, it's getting the, the quickest but most accurate information out there. And that's kind of when you lean on, you know, some of those officials. We had recently had a, a police shooting in the Flint area in Burton here. Um, and, you know, we had a reporter and a photographer head out to the scene and, you know, it, it, in those vital moments, I know it's important to get the story out there as quickly as you can, but it's also important to get it out there as accurately as possible. So that, that's kind of that, that push pull there. Um, and in the relationships in general, um, it, it's for, for me, and I think for a lot of reporters, it's, it's, it's keeping a rapport and not just necessarily reaching out to a source when something's going on. But, you know, uh, they're people, too, you know, when people talk about police, you know, or or ambulance drivers or firefighters um, and and building that rapport and in the sense of kind of getting to know them a little bit as well, I think is very important, too. Mm -hmm.
1: Along the way, we've all I was a reporter. I wasn't a a dedicated crime cop reporter. But as you all know, uh, if you work at a smaller paper, everybody pulls these shifts and you take weekends and. And, uh, so I'd be, before we get into some of the things you're working on now, but, uh, tell some of the stories that are memorable to you, but I'll tell you one, I was a a school reporter. I was covering education. I was at a school board meeting. It was on Monday night, I think. And it was like 11 o'clock. I was back in the office writing my stories up. And of course I had a white shirt on and a tie and the scanner went off and there had been a shooting in a bad, you know, really bad part of town. And. I was like the only guy in the newsroom. So I do what you do. I grabbed a notebook and I went out to the scene and it was at a like a housing in you know, project. And um people were milling around and the body was still laying in the doorway of the of an apartment. And I'm walking around with my notebook, um, interviewing people, like what'd you see? Right. I mean, it's a pretty bad neighborhood. I don't know why I felt so confident, but I'm walking around with my notebook and and do you see anything? What'd you hear? Nobody's saying anything. Right. And I'm standing next to this group of three guys who are 20 feet away from the body. And I'm trying to interview them and they're not saying anything. And I feel a tug on my shirt and it's a police officer. He says, oh yeah, we need to talk to you about something. I said, okay. So I followed him over toward his car and he said, one of those three guys is probably the shooter. (laughs) And I said, "Oh, okay, I'll just go stand with you." <laughs> but we see—I know you—you all have seen a lot. Uh, I'm not making light of the fact that somebody got shot to death. But um, as reporters, we—you know—that—that that was, a, I think, an example of the police are used to us, and we're used to them, and we kind of operate in the same—the same sphere. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, any memorable situations that you've been in uh, along the way?
0: There was one a few years ago where. Myself and my former colleague Andrew Dodson were in the newsroom on a, I think it was a Thursday or Friday afternoon around the lunch hour. You know, kind of an easy day, at least it started that way. And uh, were on the scanner, shots fired in the neighborhood, fairly close, and said that uh, an officer was wounded on the scanner. So uh, Dodson and I got in our car, in my car, and drove over to the scene. And we actually got there, like we were before some of the cops did, and. (laughs) <laughs> my car ended up being in the when they quartered off the block with police tape <laughs> my car was in there and sandwiched between all these cop cars so after it ended up being a police standoff with the armed suspect and had to ask the cops to move their cars and it came time for me to leave and the the armed gunman because it's kind of redundant but the gunman um, after a few hours of negotiations with the cops somehow he knew that I was there because I'd already written about this suspect on other matters and he wanted to talk with me on the phone in front of these (laughs) negotiations and i yeah i i I was like no i'm not doing that with (laughs) like i'm not getting involved in this and i remember talking to the police chief like i I don't feel comfortable trying to talk a gunman out of you know being like that's not my not my expertise i don't want responsibility of saying the wrong thing and this guy shooting somebody else or himself and Uh yeah so that was kind of a odd one for sure
1: <laughs> well and you had another one um and it wasn't responding to a crime but you were oh. re- researching a story yeah the cold case the, the disappearance of a of a girl like 30 40 years ago go ahead and yeah. tell tell that where you ended up sitting which is
0: okay kind of well fascinating and several years apart because i've been following this case this this little girl 13 she Uh, disappeared in base city in 1973 she was found her her remains were found the next year Um, obviously she had been killed Uh, no one's ever been criminally charged with the crime though the police have developed several suspects over the years so maybe six seven years ago i went to the apartment of one suspect just popped in and sat in his apartment as i kind of just you know (laughs) Talked to him about whether he killed this girl or not, which of course he denied. And then several years later, police made an arrest in this case, different suspect, who lived in Lansing. He was only in, or in Ingham County anyway. Uh, he was only in custody for a day before he got released. And I was trying to reach him, couldn't reach him on the phone. Found an address, which I didn't know if he still lived there or not. But it was the last known address. Drove down there unannounced one winter day, knocked on his door, said who I was. He welcomed me in, and I sat in his kitchen for about two hours talking to him. Um, he maintained that he confessed to the police that he did kill her after one of those, you know, grueling interrogations where he didn't have his medication, didn't have food. You know, said he was walked into the confession essentially, and then withdrew it. Um, but yeah, that was that was uh, pretty intense. And I, I texted my my boss right before I walked into his into this guy's house like hey i'm i'm here you don't hear from me checking in in two hours this is the address <laughs> so that was a little, little wracking, but yeah that's like for Clar- a good story once i got it
1: it's like clarice starling cl- knocking on buffalo yeah. <laughs> and violence of the lambs man
0: yeah um, yeah it, it was a big rural farmhouse too it was definitely in my mind <laughs>
1: <laughs> john
3: yeah for me it really wasn't so much an oddity but uh the 2020 uh riots in grand rapids were just yeah. surreal really i mean that's the only way to describe it i mean there were fires everywhere and um people just uh i mean i was i was amazed at the inhibitions of people to just go up and start breaking windows i mean right next to me really um with mm-hmm. they took street signs and um just watching all that unfold um I wasn't i can't say i was really ever uh scared that night um we didn't at that time, we didn't have any security. I mean, in, in subsequent events, when there were protests, uh, M Live would send security with us, you know. But that night, uh, we didn't have any because it was it was an unknown, really. It was the first time there was anything like that. So um, I was out there wandering around and uh, just um, it was it was talking to people, different people about what was happening. And uh, but again, just the violence and the uh, destruction and the fires was. Uh, something that, uh, I'll always remember and just, uh, and it's not a great thing either, but it's, uh, something that happened and, um, uh, uh, hopefully it'll never happen again.
1: Yeah. We, we had a podcast after that night cause it, there was a riot in Kalamazoo too, and, and had three people on for us who could cover that and just their descriptions alone were surreal, uh, you know, and, but anyways, uh, while I have you on, I'd like you give a bump to, you're working on a project right now. Uh, understand us about car thefts in Grand Rapids. Could you just give our listeners a little preview?
3: Yep. That should be coming up uh, shortly, maybe in a, <laughs> a week. We're not I'm not sure exactly the timetable on this, but, well, really across the nation, car thefts are, um, are just skyrocketing. My story really has to do with West Michigan. Um, so in Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo, the numbers are um, – Grand Rapids had numbers that were something like, I don't know, 350 – Um, or maybe uh, 250 three years ago, and now they're up to 900 in that Mm -hmm. range or 800. And then Kalamazoo is about the same way. So I'm tracking down people and um, it's really, so far um, it's kind of a mystery really as to why the pandemic is blamed really for 2020, but 2021 is a little bit of a mystery as to why it's continuing on. Um, So we're trying to get to the bottom of that and um, talked to uh, several people that have had their cars stolen. One, one guy had his uh, pickup truck. It's like 20 years old. He had it stolen twice, <laughs> which was uh, uh, wow. an oddity there. Um, he actually tracked down his own vehicle. He saw it wow. somewhere like three months after it was stolen in a parking ride. And then, so that guy was arrested. And then at the body shop, the same vehicle was stolen again. Wow. Uh, Just very Uh, briefly. Someone crashed it like right away. Yeah. Um, So he wondered if his truck was like magical or something. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead.
0: Yeah. I was
1: going to say this conversation alone shows the breadth of the things that all of you can cover or have to cover the course of your job. Go ahead, Cole.
0: I was just going to ask John if these, uh, these car theft, Spikes are mostly strangers stealing cars. suppose I you know, like at least in our area of the state, the average car theft is a relative or a friend who was loaned the car and then just didn't return it when they they were going to. So it's not just yeah. you know a car on it's, the street that some stranger just, you know, jimmies and takes off with.
3: Well, I mean, a lot of them actually are strangers in this case, but I mean this, okay. some uh, people like Taking enterprise cars and just never returning them. Oh, wow. Well, okay, start. yeah. <laughs> but um, but many of them are. Uh, I ran across several that were just people leaving their car running at like a gas station, you know, and someone jumps in and takes off. You know,
0: always amazing that that still happens. That someone yeah. still yeah. leaves their car running.
1: Okay, I, we have a coworker. I'm not going to name this person. Uh, keeping the identities, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, anyways, this person's car got stolen in Grand Rapids, John. Uh, and I was like, wow. And they are like, yeah, it was stolen like, right out of my garage. And I'm like, was the garage door closed? No. Whoa, man. How'd they, how they take your car without the keys? Well, you can yeah. guess the rest. The keys are, yeah. the, keys are in the upholder, you know? So, I mean, that's yeah. funny too, cause it points to, I think I personally have been touched by crime in my life. My family has, I think this is just another reason, right? Roberto that we're out there covering this is it, it touches a lot of people's
2: lives. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, looking at a whole—you know—if you're the victim of crime, you might always have that kind of lingering thought in your mind, you know, if it might happen again. Um, taking it from Flint, as kind of the city has shrunk, I mean, almost uh, speaking kind of hypothetically, but it feels like every other person you speak to has has been a victim in some way, if not directly themselves, you know, someone else impacted too. So, I think that's why this. You know, this coverage is very important as a whole, uh, you know, to, to let people know, you know, who those victims are, what's going on in their neighborhoods, as I mentioned before, and, and uh, you know, letting them know, um, you know, that we're here to cover that. One thing that hasn't been mentioned that that, that I think should, too, is is the FOIA work that, that a yeah, lot of these reporters put in as well. Because, I mean, you can get the press release, you know, you can go to the court, you know, uh, hearing, but... Um, You know, be it uh, incident report, you know, about something that's a place dash cam video, you know, um, body cam video, which unfortunately all departments still don't have um, is vital to telling that whole story as well.
1: Absolutely. And that's a that's a whole topic for a whole nother show, Um, the FOIA work that we do. And that's Freedom of Information Act. Uh, It's a law that allows us to see and get documents and government records. Um, A lot of times we have to fight for them. But anyways, we're running out of time here on Behind the Headlines. I really appreciate you all joining us. John from Grand Rapids, Cole from Bay City, Roberto from Flint. This has been a great conversation. And also, thank you so much for what you do day in and day out. As Cole said, it looked like just a normal day we were going to have. So many of our great stories start out. uh, We went into work and thought it was just going to be another normal day. and Yeah all get pressed into service in ways that you really can't imagine sometimes. So thanks for the work you do. And thanks for joining us on Behind the
0: Headlines today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. And there they go. As always, if you like what John and I are doing, like, subscribe, and share wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Halkrin. And this is Behind the Headlines.